0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Second uh, Samuel 7, verses 18 through 29. I've already read the first half where um, God makes those great promises to David concerning his kingdom and his son. We've just sung of it from Psalm 89, and now we read David's immediate response to it in what the heading in your Bibles calls something like uh, David's thanksgiving to God or David's prayer of gratitude. It says that just after Nathan the prophet spoke all of these things to David, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. Nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land? Before your people can be redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods, for you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, Have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever, and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you, for you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Congregation, when someone great uh, stoops down to show undeserved grace to another, it's only natural that the response would be thankful praise. You can think of this in your own life when someone great has has stooped down to show you undeserved kindness or um, you can think of examples of this in the Bible. Just two chapters after this, in 2 Samuel 9, you have the story of David and Mephibosheth, the one at the very height of of power and glory. In fact, he's he's really at the the, um, climax of his greatness. And the other a self-described dead dog whose name means man of shame and who is a fugitive out in a land that means land of nothing. When David calls him into his presence and makes him like one of his sons and seats him at the king's table, Mephibosheth's response is, what is your servant that I would be shown such grace? He recognizes that he's undeserving, and so he's grateful. In fact, we see later on in 2 Samuel his great devotion to the king because of it. Or in the New Testament, you've got examples like the, the sinful woman of Luke chapter 7 who loves much because she's been forgiven much. And, and so from the moment Jesus enters in, she, she uh, never stops kissing his feet and anointing them with fragrant oil. You've got examples like Paul, who never tires of telling his story from the road to Damascus, how, how uh, God called him to himself while he was on the way to persecute the very church of Christ, and, and he calls himself the chief of sinners. And so often, as in, in uh, 1 Timothy 1 or, or in Ephesians or Romans, he breaks out into doxology, into song, every time he speaks of what God has done for him. He's a man who is keenly aware of of what he deserves on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, what God has done for him. So he's thankful. And we see that same sort of thing in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where, where just after God has promised David that from his line and from his house will come a king and savior of the world, his response is Who am I, O Lord? And then this psalm like prayer of thanksgiving, where the promise of God prompts thankful praise. And the purpose of these 12 verses is to lead us into that same thankful praise. Let's look at the first at how David thanks God for his sovereign mercy. We see this in verses 18 through 22, where in those five verses, David basically says four things. He first of all recognizes that he deserves nothing like Paul, who calls himself the chief of sinners, or Mephibosheth, who calls himself a dead dog, he says, who am I, O Lord? He says, in essence, I don't deserve this. Who am I, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? David recognizes that he has no claim, even even to the throne where where God took him from the sheepfold, as God said back in in, uh, verse 8. He recognized that he did not become king by natural succession or, or by inheritance of, of that throne, but that God made a promise to him by grace and set him on the throne, and then he makes to him this even greater promise. And Calvin says he remembered that he had not earned the royal dignity, but it was a free gift of God, that God, having brought him this far, is all of grace David recognizes his undeserving status, and and like he'll do in Psalm 8, says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Only David goes further. It doesn't just say, in general, what is man, but says very personally, who am I? Teaching us that it's not enough simply to recognize, in general, that we are nothing, though we must do that too. We must also consider ourselves in particular. We, you must also consider yourself in particular and, and see your sin, and in so doing, magnify God's grace. As you reflect today on all the, the kindnesses that God has shown you, as you think about all of the reasons that you have to be thankful, think about that in light of, of just how sinful you are and what you deserve. But as you see your sin and what you deserve, and then you see the way that God has treated you, David's question, "Who am I?" should become yours? Who am I that the Lord would show me such kindness? As you think about what we heard a week ago from Lord's Day Four about what our sins deserve, what your sins deserve. And then you think about how God has treated you. God's sovereign mercy is magnified all the more as you recognize that you deserve nothing. In fact, we deserve worse than nothing. That's the first thing that David teaches us about gratitude for God's sovereign mercy, to recognize that we deserve nothing. And then second, he recognizes the scope of, Of God's grace. First, he he holds up a a magnifying glass to himself and sees his sin, and and now he he sort of zooms out, as it were, to, to consider the grand scope of all of the grace that God has shown. He says, after reflecting on how God has brought him this far, verse 19, yet this was a small thing in your sight. He's saying, Lord, you raising me up to the throne, you uh, anointing me back in 1 Samuel 16, you giving me victory over my enemies, even over Saul, and then exalting me to the throne. That was nothing. He's saying it was just a little hors d'oeuvre preparing the way for verse 19b, where he says, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. One uh, translation renders that you you extend your promises to your servant's family far off into the distant future to the one we read of earlier in Second Samuel seven, of whom God would be a father and he will be a son he will have a universal kingdom. David is saying, you have promised that that one, that eternal and universal king will come from my line. And, and he recognizes that this affects not just him and his family, but all mankind. When it says in the New King James, is this the manner of man? At the end of verse 19, that's, that's better translated not as a question, but as a statement. This is the, the revelation for humanity. Uh, Walter Kaiser, one Old Testament theologian, says this is the charter for humanity. That's what David is saying at the end of verse 19. This is the revelation and, and the charter for mankind because it is the plan and prescription for God's kingdom, whereby the whole world will be blessed through this one that you've just promised. David recognizes the scope of God's grace as being not just to him personally, but that the promise he's made concerns the whole world. It concerns all the families of the earth of which God spoke back in Genesis 12.3 and the promise he made to Abram. This promise is the continuation of that. In fact, God would later say to Abram, kings will come from your line. And so there is this thread going from the Abrahamic promise all the way to the Davidic. And and David is saying, that's what this is. This is a promise of a universal kingdom in whom all the nations will be included and it will have no end. It is through this that all the families of the earth will be blessed. David recognizes that he deserves nothing David recognizes the scope of God's grace, that it's not just to him, but to the whole world. And then he turns to consider himself again, humbled by the fact that this charter for humanity would come through him, and he says, what more can David say to you? For you, O Lord, know your servant. Here David recognizes a third thing. He recognizes God's sovereign choice. That word for know, when he says you have known your servant, is the same word from a place like Jeremiah 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is the same sort of thing Romans 8 is speaking of, and it speaks of God's foreknowledge unto predestination. This is an intimate knowledge. This is God's choice of David before the world began through no good of his own to set him on this throne and cause the salvation of the world to come through his house. David says, what more can I say? For you have known me. You have chosen me. You have considered me in my depravity, in my low estate, verse 18, and nevertheless, you've elected me unto grace. You have singled out your servant, Lord God, and shown me uh, undeserved sovereign grace, which is all of you and none of me. And David is again leading us to consider this same thing with regard to ourselves. To see that you and I, are like him, undeserving, and yet he has known you. David, by the Spirit of God, is here calling you to recognize God's sovereign choice, which we sang of before the service, and to be thankful and to be humbled. So we confess in in the canons of Dort that this grace of election is an incentive to serious and continual practice of thanksgiving. That it should humble us and make us thankful to the praise of his glory, which is the last thing we see in this section. Um, David recognizes that he deserves nothing. David recognizes the scope of God's grace. He recognizes God's sovereign choice. And then in verses 21 and 22, he recognizes that God's sovereign choice is to the praise of his glory. Now we see in verse 22 where he says, Therefore you are great, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. Or verse 21, it's, it's for the sake of your word that you do this, showing that you keep your promise, that, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, the promise you made back in, in Genesis 49, or the promise that you made through Balaam in Numbers 24, the great kingdom that would come. David recognizes that the purpose of all of this is the glory of God who keeps his word. And our fitting response is praise. Our fitting response is to glorify and thank him. That's where these five verses lead us, to thank and praise God for his sovereign mercy. David, by the Spirit of God, is seeking to annihilate all pride in us and make us thankful. To make us realize that every spiritual blessing we possess is by grace. is entirely undeserved. Which means then that, that the opposite of a spirit of gratitude that the Word of God is, is seeking to cultivate in us through this passage, the, the opposite of a spirit of gratitude is a spirit of pride. That says not, who am I? But look at me. That says not, I deserve nothing. But I'm entitled. That says not, behold God's sovereign choice and praises him, but somehow thinks that God's sovereign choice of us is a reason to look down our noses at others. David is here leading us toward a humble Calvinism. The only kind of Calvinism. Not toward theological or moral pride, but a spirit of gratitude that is humbled by what God has done, not only for us, but for all mankind. And you see that humble concern, which goes beyond himself in verses 23 and 24, where David moves from this thankful praise for God's sovereign mercy to now thankful praise for God's set apart people. You can see he says there, And who is like your people? Verse 23, like Israel, the one nation on earth. God went to redeem for himself as a people to make a name for himself and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. He says, you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And here we see the same kind of thing that we saw a year ago on, on Thanksgiving as we're making our way through the Song of Songs. We came to that passage in Song of Songs 6 where the bridegroom considers the beauty of the bride that is the church. And we're reminded that we are to give thanks to God, not only for his grace to us in Christ, but also for his grace to our brothers and sisters. We are to give thanks for the church. Calvin says, speaking of this verse, David used what was intended for him personally as an opportunity and occasion to speak of the whole church of God to consider the great blessing of being a part of God's people, that all the blessings God has granted to David in particular belong in general to the whole church. And again, the same is true of us, that we must not think of ourselves in an individualistic kind of way where our praise and our, our prayer to God is always in the singular, but must be mindful of the people of God must be mindful of and thankful for the church. Some of you are aware, Ligonier, every year does a a state of the church theology survey. They ask professing Christians uh, various statements and and ask them whether they agree or or don't agree with certain statements. And in uh, one of these recent surveys, 58% agreed that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. 39% of evangelicals agreed with that. Not being troubled by an individualistic, anti corporate approach to the Christian life. But David here says no, he who would have God as his father must have the church as his mother, the people of God as his brothers and sisters. You cannot neglect or despise or disparage the church but she is God's redeemed people. Verse 23, set free from bondage to slavery in Egypt, which is a type of our bondage to sin, which God has redeemed us from by the precious blood of Christ. Even as David considers the the people of God and rejoices in her redeemed identity, we must do the same. Thanking God for how he's redeemed his people from bondage the precious blood of Jesus. And then not only how he redeems his people, but verse 24, how he preserves his people. Notice there, David says, you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. He's making the point that God not only redeems them from Egypt, but he keeps them. He preserves them. They are safe within his hand and no one can snatch them out of it. And the same is true of us, as we read in John chapter 10. That God not only, not only saves us and redeems us, but he preserves every one of his people. And he not only preserves every one of us individually, everyone who, who truly belonged to him, but he also says the, the same thing of the church corporately. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God in Christ, by his spirit, will build his church forever he will preserve it he says in, in verse 24 has the great privilege of being his very own people and having him as their god that there is a little summary a little encapsulation of that great covenant formula that runs throughout the bible i will be their god and they will be my people and David is rejoicing in this, not just for himself, but for his brothers and sisters, for the kingdom which God has set him over. And David is leading us to contemplate not only the glories of God's sovereign grace and sovereign mercies, but also the glories of his set-apart people in whom God's glory is revealed. And Calvin says God's glory is reflected in his chosen people. That's the point that David is making. As David is in the midst of of a prayer of of praise and thanksgiving to God, but, but this section about the church is not out of place in it, for his contemplation of the people of God fuels in him a praise for the glory of God. One pastor says, David here cannot look at the flock without praising the shepherd. He is praising God for his redeemed people who he will preserve. It is teaching us in doing so that our praise for God and our prayers of thanksgiving to him must include the people of God to whom we're joined. That our list of things that we're thankful for must include the church of God, warts and all. Because her glory is not in her natural beauty, but in her redeemed status in the Son. David here teaches us in this prayer of thanksgiving that a hatred for the church or an apathy regarding the church or a disinterest in the church reflects a spirit of ingratitude for one of God's good gifts. If you do not care about the church, young people, if you are tempted to say, like the world around you, I don't need the church, I just, I just need a personal relationship with God, David is reminding you that the glories of God in Christ are revealed in his church, and you need her too. David thanks God for his sovereign mercy, and he thanks God for his set-apart people. And lastly, he thanks God for his saving plan that he's revealed and the promise that he's just made to David. We see this in verses 25 through 29, where David basically uh, prays God's promises back to him. Teaches us something here about what prayer it is. It is uh, praying God's promises back to him, pleading his promises, taking his word and speaking it back to him. And in a spirit of gratitude, he basically just says, Lord, do as you have said. The word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish that word forever and do as you have said. Let the house of your servant be established before you, for you have said, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. David is taking the promises of God and he is pleading them in prayer. He's doing the same thing that God's people did in Psalm 89. We sang a few minutes ago where where it seemed as if God had forgotten his promise to David. This is at the end of book three of the Psalms where God's people are in exile. They're wondering about the promises that God has made concerning his kingdom. And they pray to him and say, Lord, remember your covenant. Remember your saving plan where you have, have promised this goodness to your servant. Verse 29. David says, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken it. He's taking the saving plan of God revealed in the first half of this chapter of God's son or or of David's son, who would also be God's son, whose kingdom would last forever He's taking the, this promise of a great king whose kingdom would last forever, who would even be disciplined and, and beaten with the rods of men for the sake of his people, but whose kingdom would have no end, and is saying, "Lord, thank you. I rejoice in this promise you have made, and I pray that you would do it, that you would accomplish every good word that you have spoken." So David's prayer of Thanksgiving is now a rejoicing in and praying for the fulfillment. Of God's saving plan he is turning God's promises into prayers and pleading them before God he's he's showing us that God's great gospel promises are not given to make us idle or to make us sit on our hands or or to make us a prayerless people but they are given to make us come to him they are given to make us fervent in prayer which we confess in Lord's Day 5, is the most important part of our thankfulness to God that he requires of us. And so David is now moving from praise to petition. He's, he's showing us still, though, what a life of gratitude looks like. It looks like coming to God in prayer. It looks like pleading his promises. It looks like praying, verse 26, that his name would be hallowed and his kingdom would come and his will would be done. That's essentially what this section of this prayer is. It is the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, which the grateful heart sets before God and says, please do it. And so David again shows us what gratitude looks like. It looks like praying to God, which is the chief part of our thankfulness, and praying specifically for the coming of his kingdom and the hallowing of his name. And if we do not desire to pray for these things, if we do not desire to pray, then God's word would suggest that we have a gratitude problem. David teaches us here what the thankful heart looks like. And by contrast, he teaches us what the unthankful heart looks like. It looks like a heart that does not pray or that prays only for itself and not for God's kingdom and God's glory and God's people. And David here teaches us about a life and heart of thanksgiving, and in so doing, exposes our ingratitude. If we do not pray like this, it's because we are not grateful. and Therefore, we need another glimpse of the glorious kingdom promises that God gives in the first half of this chapter. For it's in beholding the gospel of the kingdom in God's word through his prophet Nathan that David is moved to this heartfelt gratitude. So beloved, part of the answer to our ingratitude is to hear again and again the gospel of the kingdom preached to us from God's prophets Lord's day after Lord's day both morning and afternoon that he might feed us with his word as much as we're able to take in and fuel our grateful praise and prayer for his glory. David is showing us that if we would be moved to gratitude it's in beholding God's gospel promises of his son who would come from David's line who would commit no iniquity yet, verse 14, be beaten with the rods of men for hours and then be shown mercy and steadfast love by God who would raise him up and declare him his son in power by the spirit of God and the resurrection, as it says in Romans 1, it would give him a kingdom and a house that would last forever, made up of subjects from every tribe, tongue, and nation who, like David, are debtors to mercy alone unworthy to be shown such grace, yet shown it for the sake of his word, for the sake of his son, to the praise of his glorious grace. Calvin says, if you would be encouraged in your prayer, then you must pay attention to the word of God when it is preached to you in order to humble yourself under it. To realize your sin and be brought to say with David, who am I? And then to behold God's Son in whom he has chosen you by grace and be moved to gratitude. It is the gospel of the King that moves us to gratitude. It is the gospel of the King that is our first reason to be grateful. The one in whom we have redemption, verse 23 the one through whom we are joined to the people of God, verse 24, he is our elder brother and he brings us into his family, the one in whom every word of God is fulfilled, verse 21, and the one by whom every spiritual blessing comes for which we thank God not only today, but every day, as the promise of God, every one of which finds its yes, amen, yes and amen in Christ, prompts our thankful praise. So we return to this gospel over and over. You preach it to yourself daily. You attend to the preaching of the word as often as it's offered, and you let it move you to thankful praise and to say with David, Who am I, O Lord, that you would show me such kindness for the sake of your son? May the Lord move us to such gratitude for Jesus' sake. Amen. Father, we thank you for every spiritual blessing that comes to us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that even though we are but weak and frail sinners, undeserving of your grace and unworthy of your affection, you condescend to us through your Son and by your Spirit, and you lift us up. You make us gracious promises in the covenant of grace and fulfill those promises in your son in whom we have redemption through his blood in whom we are chosen in the beloved. Lord, we pray that those gospel promises which are yes and amen in Christ, the king of of 2 Samuel 7, that by those you would prompt us to thankful praise not only today but every day. Not only in public worship, but also like David, going before you in a secret place to bear our souls and to offer our thanks for your sovereign mercy, for your saving plan in Christ, and even for your set-apart people to whom we are joined and for whom we give thanks. We pray all this, Lord, for the sake of your glory and for the good of your people, which is tied up in that glory. In Jesus' name, amen.